Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I am your host, Jay Gannon. On the podcast today, we have Scott Saxton. Scott is the Director of Sales in North America for Sonic Tools. I love what Sonic Tools is doing and doing not only for their business, but for the industry and have really enjoyed my conversations with Scott about the industry. I'm really happy to have you on the show, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, let's start with your background first. How how did you get to this point in your life, and and really, uh, what was your upbringing and, and got you into this industry? Oh man, that's a great question. There's a, it's a long there's a long backstory, uh, so I'll, I'll make I'll, I'll condense it as best I can. Um, I actually come from an entrepreneurial background. Uh, was in the military uh, from from eighty nine to ninety three uh, as a as a combat infantryman. Um, and then I got out of the army in 93 and pretty much went right into, uh, the world of business ownership. Uh, so opened up a, a business in 1996 at the age of 26, I owned and operated that business, uh, for night for well, 18 years. And during that 18 year stint in that specific industry, um, I scaled that business, uh, once by opening a location in Melbourne, Florida. I was in Orlando, Florida at the time. So location in Orlando, location in Melbourne. Um, and during that 18 years, I also dabbled into some other business ventures and some startup stuff, uh, laundry mats, uh, a, a, a meal prep business, um, a mosquito misting business, which ironically is actually still in business. I sold that business in 07. The guy who bought it uh, continued to grow the business. He's still in operation today. Um, so I come from an entrepreneurial background. Um, I sold that, that first business, the, the, my main business in, in 2014. Um, and was uh, doing some real estate stuff. So I was doing some house flipping, wholesaling of houses and some real estate stuff, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Um, I had realized early on that the, the, the first business I was in, the dry cleaning business, was a very expensive business to scale. And as I got more educated in business, I realized that it wasn't going to be a path to uh, the financial freedom that I was kind of looking for. So I got out of it, got into house flipping. Um, and I knew the founders of Sonic Tools because of their previous business. I was a customer of their previous business. So I knew of them, I, you know, I've, I've pretty much known uh, our, our CEO um, for, I mean, since 2003. Not real, not real close, not real personal, because I was just a customer at the time. Uh, but I followed them on Facebook, and I, when I saw what they were doing with the whole Sonic Tools thing, um, I reached out to them and said, hey, I'm interested in, in, in maybe being your master franchisee for Florida. Uh, and, and when Stephen Hooks, our CEO, said, hey, we're not, we're not doing franchises, I was like, well, how, how are you going to distribute tools? And I had, I had friends that, that I have friends that own independent shops. I have friends that are master techs like at Mercedes and Volkswagen. So I was aware of the tool business. I was never a mechanic, but I was aware of it. I was aware of the trucks uh, like Snap-on, Mac, Maco. Um, and so when I, I, thought, I thought I was going to maybe potentially manage uh, all the franchisees of the state of Florida with all these trucks running around and said, yeah, we're not, we're not doing trucks. I'm like, how are you going to distribute tools? They're like, like Amazon. I go, okay, I'm in. I, <laughs> as soon as I, as soon as they said that they were going to leverage technology um, and I realized what a disruptor that would be in this, in this tool industry uh, because it's very antiquated. They've been doing the same thing for decades. Um, I'm like, I'm in, I want to be involved. Uh, that was back in 2000, into 2015, beginning in 2016. Um, and so I kind of was doing a, a little bit more of a consulting type role initially, uh, and ended up growing education side of the business and developed and grew the aviation side of the business. Um, and that worked into a deal where I, I moved from Florida, uh, about a year and a half ago up here to Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, which is where our, our North American headquarters is. So, um, yeah, over a 20 plus year period of business ownership, um, I, I'm, I'm now, uh, actually helping a company grow and disrupt an industry. That is so cool. That is so cool. What was the what was the company before it was Sonic Tools? Well, so, so Sonic Sonic Equipment is in Europe. So Sonic Equipment and the founders of Sonic, it's still a privately owned company out of Europe. Uh, our 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 global headquarters is in Netherlands. Oh. Um, uh, so the the brand uh, has been around since the mid two thousands. The the people who own the brand who started the company. Uh, have been in the tool business for over 50 years. So we've got a 50-year heritage of tool ownership and tool manufacturing 
um, uh, under our belt. We're new. We, we, we basically distribute for North America. So this uh, was started in 2015, um, really kind of launching in the beginning of 2016. That's, that's cool. And I, I, the, the neat part that I see about Sonic is you're not only disrupting the tech side and, and trying to um, change the model of how you distribute tools, but the actual tools themselves, right? And I think we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit during the podcast today, but I think to me, what's neat is it's just a different viewpoint altogether on, on tools, technicians, how we treat technicians. And this is something that you and I have had conversations about uh, offline here, where we talk about the impact that tools have on the industry. And it's such a big part of, of technicians. I'm, I'm curious, as we kind of dive into the meat of this thing, what do you see uh, from your experience with the tech shortage, the, you know, the so-called tech shortage, the, um, uh, what your role is in that and, and maybe trying to change and, and, and evolve the industry, uh, any insight into that side as far as, as what you're seeing out there? Yeah. You know, it's, I think that a big part of the, the, the start of the, what's where the problem started in my opinion is back when I was in high school, the stigma, of like, you know, if you're smart, you go to college. Um, and if, you, if you're not really cut out for college, well, then you can go work on cars or work on airplanes or be a plumber uh, or work on ACs. Um, and the irony of that is, you know, I went to my 30 year reunion uh, back in 2018. Um, and all my friends, like I went military, I wasn't a college guy, I went military, my other friends went, you know, into a trade school. Um, and then of course I had friends that went to college. Um, all of my friends that decided to go the trades route or the military route, 30 years later, they're all very successful. Um, they had to fight the stigma, of course, their entire career of, uh, of being blue collar workers. Um, a lot of a lot of the guys that I know actually went into business ownership. So some of the friends I have actually opened up their own shops um, or have become general partner, managing partners and dealerships. So it's uh, I think the biggest the, the initial problem is the stigma that uh, this push to go to um, you know, a, a, a college and, and get a, a college degree over a trades degree or a trades uh, education. Um, and then the other part of that is that what's happened over the last, you know, you know, probably 10 or 15 years is that the, the lure of going and paying to get an education at a trade school and then having to get out of school and all of a sudden now you've got to make another five to $10,000 investment in the tools just to get a job that doesn't jive with us at all. I mean, we, the idea of having to su supply your own tools uh, to go work for somebody, that's, it doesn't make sense to us, right? So, uh, but that's been the status quo for a long time is that you, you get out of school, you go into debt with a tool truck, um, and you know, 10 years later, you've got $50,000, $60,000 in tools and cabinets, and uh, you still haven't bought your first house yet or you're, you're, you, haven't, you haven't been able to, to afford to buy, you know, your, your wife a minivan because you've got two kids coming. So uh, some of it is like, I think we're saving marriages to some extent because we're trying <laughs> to keep people out of debt. Yeah. And that's, that's something I remember coming up through the industry and I was as young as probably, I don't know, 12 years old when I bought my first Mac, uh, Mac screwdriver set for like $85. I had no business buying that screwdriver <laughs> set for $85 when I was 12 years old, but it was the cool thing to do. You know, you got on the tool truck and you, you did that, but I, I really, that's where I love what your vision is and, and what, what you're doing now. Are you starting to see a shift away from that, that traditional model as far as um, who is buying the tools? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So well, the ship, some of the shifts started for well, two different reasons. One, there's been a recruiting retention initiative. Um, so because of the shortage, you you have dealerships that are trying to stand stand out from their competition. Um, so you have this recruiting and retention initiative. Uh, then you've also got a minimum wage law in, initiative there. That, that something's happening in California. So you've got uh, dealerships in California that if they supply the tools. Uh, minimum wage, let's say, is fifteen or sixteen dollars. If if the technician supplies the tools, so you got a guy going in as a as a quick loop tech right out of school. If he or she is bringing in their own tools to the job, that dealership has to pay double minimum wage, right? So you see a push for the dealerships to buy tools. We have Grappetti Auto Group. 
and California is, is now supplying all their uh, entry-level techs and I think mid-level techs with tools and toolboxes. Um, and they're seeing an ROI in that investment in less than six months. Um, and then, of course, you have the recruiting side where you've got dealerships that are, that are trying to lure the students, uh, the, new, the new graduated uh, techs from uh, their competition by offering a, a, a box and say, hey, listen, come to work for us. We've got a toolbox that will get you through the first year or two. We've got a pathway to get you from, from an entry-level quick, serv uh, quick service tech uh, into all the way through A-level tech. It's fascinating to me. And, and so what resistance have you fought on that side, right? Like, how, like when, you're, when you're talking to a shop about, you know, changing the model, essentially, what, what resistance do you see? Uh, well, you know, some of the initial resistance comes to cap the capital outlay that has to happen. Um, it's a, it, it's an easy conversation once they see that there is truly an, a pathway to an ROI for them. Uh, I know Nissan Clovis uh, in California. They they saw they got their money back on all the the toolboxes they purchased in six months. Um, outside of that resistance, you have the the concern about okay, now I've got a uh, I've got, you know, 26 toolboxes with tools. And let's say this toolboxes have 200 to 400 uh, tools in them. Now you've got the issue of asset management. Um, and because this is a new idea, a new concept, um, you have a lot of GMs and service managers and fixed ops directors are like, I'm not, I don't want to manage 26 <laughs> boxes. It's going to be a nightmare. It's going to be a monthly investment of replacing tools and Tools are going to walk out the, you know, walk out the door. They're going to be left in engine bays, which is normal. That's kind of somewhat normal. Um, so some of that concern comes from asset management as well. So how do you, when you're sitting down with a shop and, and you talk to them about kind of changing their model and it, it, as a result, it's going to help. I'm assuming the ROI comes from the, the standpoint of they're able to get techs faster or better, or is the ROI from, um, where do you, how do you calculate that ROI? So the ROI, it's, it's really easy on the side of where you have uh, the techs in California with the minimum wage law. Yeah. That's, that's a really, it's just numbers. You know, you're paying $15 an hour versus $30 an hour. Um, you multiply that by 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. So that's the easy ROI. Um, the, the ROI that's a little bit more of a challenge for us, but that is hundred percent legitimate is the ROI of one efficiency um, and two, the, the cost of attrition. Like what does it truly cost a dealership if they have a high attrition rate of, of techs? And you have techs that will leave for 50 cents to a dollar an hour. So if you've got a technician making $14 an hour and they're trying to pay their bills and the dealership across the street says, hey, listen, come over here. You've got a couple months under your belt, six months under your belt. I'll give you another dollar an hour raise or $2 an hour raise. They're leaving. Cause that, that means they can put gas in their car. Yeah. So it's that, that ROI is a little bit uh, of, a, of a tougher conversation. Um, it's still one that there's people that get it and they're, they're truly tired of, of the attrition. But then you also have dealerships that, you know what, we want our morale to increase. We want our, they want their techs to be off the truck. So they, you got, it, there's a, there's a throughput side of this as well. So if you got techs that are working out of an organized toolbox, they're 20% more uh, efficient. So you got 20% more productivity for the tech. That means more income for the tech. You got 20% more throughput for the dealership. Um, Plus it keeps them off the truck. They're not spending 45 minutes, yeah. you know, a few days a week on the truck. Yeah. And I, I, your, your system for keeping tools organized is something that I look back to my time in a shop and I'm, I'm just blown away by how much of an impact that has. Uh, tell us a little bit about that side. I mean, is it, what, possessed you guys to have the tool management or the asset management side be such a, a focal point and such an important piece because I, I love it. Like, I, I think that's hugely important. I think it's just a, a passion for efficiency, you know, just being the most efficient technician that you can. Um, it's, it's also uh, efficiency of real estate. So you've got, you know, we, we fit, hundred and you know let's say 180 tools into a single drawer all organized with foam um and from retrieval and putting you know putting tools back uh being able to to go exactly where you need to go to find a specific tool that's when i was younger and i worked on my cars i was i mean i was either a home depot bucket of tools or i had a little craftsman toolbox that had tools all uh, all you know I, I would spend more time looking for uh, a 15 
a 15 torque screwdriver or, or a you know, 10 millimeter socket to change out an air filter in my Mazda back in the day. I'd spend more time looking for the tools than I would actually taking the air box off and replacing the filter. So there's a, a high passion of organization and efficiency. Um, and it, it, every, for everything that we do from the top down as a company, um, it's, it's our biggest passion. So I want to start from the shop's perspective here. And when I say that, when I'm laying out this, this new plan, right? And, and when I look at, uh, okay, okay, I'm working with you, Scott, I'm going to get uh, Sonic tools into my shop. Some of my, some of my techs already have their big, you know, snap on or Mac boxes with, you know, all the, the gadgets and everything like that. How do you approach that right from a from a shop managers or owners standpoint to where hey we're gonna we're gonna line this place with toolboxes or is it just for new new techs or is it really dependent on the situation how how does that work yeah it it definitely depends on the situation so you have some dealerships that they there's there was a push to to built-ins kind of like the built-ins that are behind me right here right there's there was a push to built-ins through some of the higher brands like mercedes and stuff that happened a while back so you had a situation where you had dealerships that are doing built-ins and telling the technicians, hey, take your big snap-on Epic boxes home. Your tools will stay. You're going to use our toolboxes because we want uniformity in the, uh, in the service area. Um, so that, that already started happening to a certain extent, you know, you know a while back. Uh, but what we're seeing is that we're seeing a lot of dealerships that are actually starting to buy tools. They're doing this at the entry-level standpoint. They're saying, hey, you, our master techs, our level techs, they're going to keep their stuff until they retire, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just that it, 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 there's it, tools are so subjective that they don't want to hurt the morale of those technicians who have spent you know literally seven or eighty thousand uh, dollars in tools and toolboxes. So the the push is more to get the ones that are starting out right now as techs start them out this way, and then and we've created a pathway from uh, basic to intermediate to advanced to expert level where you can technically buy a basic level set for your technician, buy the add-on set that takes them to the next step, and then buy another add-on set that takes them to the next step as well. So uh, with us right now, we're seeing more of a push as entry-level techs are getting into the field, leaving the master techs alone, not not crushing their spirits in that sense because the investment they made. But we've had some master-level techs that actually are like, they wanna take their tools and sell them. Like, hey, listen, if you're gonna provide tools for them, provide them for me. I'll take this stuff either back to my house. I do stuff on the side or I'll, I'll sell this stuff. Yeah. I, and one thing I would add there, I, I actually took a, a, a tour of a customer of ours in Arizona. Um, it was a Mercedes dealership in, in the Phoenix area. And they had that, that the layout of the similar boxes all the way through the black, like the, what's behind you. Uh, for those of yep. you just on audio, Scott's got a really nice background of, of everything uh, Sonic behind him. And what I, what I love about it is it, it kind of, we always talk about changing the perception of that grease monkey uh, mentality. And yeah. when, when I walk into that dealership and it's got that kind of layout, it looks more like a, a, I don't know. I, it's, it looks more like, I don't want to even say a doctor's office because I don't think it does it justice, but like the, it just a cool looking shop that I think brings a lot of, a lot of uh, credibility to a shop. So it's not just, you know, a random greasy toolbox with a, a inappropriate calendar on it or something yeah, like that. Yeah, There's yeah. actually like, they, they have it laid out really, really nice and clean and organized and, and as we're trying to change the perception of the industry, that's a part that I really, really love uh, because I think it's huge. Yeah, I, I think the push to uh, have some uniformity also comes with the idea of like, hey, you know, if we have a, 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 um, a client or customer who's in the, the customer area, maybe drinking a coffee or something, and some of these dealerships will have big glass windows and stuff so you can actually see into uh, the service area uh, so that nothing's kind of hidden. Well, when you have a service area that looks like an operating room or a doctor's office, um, you can typically, you know, rationalize a higher uh, labor rate, right? It's easier yeah. to say, hey, the reason the reason you're paying us this much money per hour to have your car fixed here at the dealership is because look where, look how it's being worked on. All of our technicians are wearing uniforms. The the shop is clean. Everything is is a uh, very attractive versus 
a shade tree mechanic type of setup where um, the the look aesthetically uh, doesn't look professional. Right. How how do you how do you see uh, do you see any independent shops that I mean are, is there a, a good amount of independent shops that are kind of buying into the program as well? Uh, there are or, there are yeah, yeah there are not as not as much the I said the traction from the independent shops isn't on par with the dealerships but they're coming around because they're they're seeing the force of the trees which is hey if we want to be competitive um with the dealership because that was always the big push hey we're, we we can compete with the dealership we're lower uh maybe better access easier access to getting your car serviced um so yeah you see some of them that are trying to uh either mimic the dealership because a lot of them basically some of these guys who are these independent shops are uh, dealership level master techs that have said, you know what, I'm gonna go do this myself. Uh, some of my friends that have done this in Orlando, literally master tech for Mercedes and decided, no, I'm gonna go open my own shop and work for myself. Um, and, and some of these, some of the mindset is that they're gonna uh, mimic that so that they can also um, warrant a higher labor rate. Interesting. So when, when you're going to set up a shop, and say say they go full blown. They're they're gonna go tool uh, tool chests. They're gonna go tools with the foam inserts and everything like that. How how do you lay it out? Is it per bay? Uh, and I or is it like a, a, a technician has a certain area and then they have a roller cart where they can take the tools from their area over to the car? How do you maintain that efficiency in the shop? Uh, you know, we talk about efficiency from the tool organization standpoint, mm -hmm. but when you've got say you've got banks of toolboxes and this technician is over here but maybe his bay is over here or do you see it set up where it's just that that tech has two bays and and this is their area how, how do you typically see that um most of the most of the setups that we are involved with will have some kind of a service cart or rolling toolbox built in the this is our mss plus line and it does have let me move this chair out of the way you can see this yeah. has a pull out uh, toolbox. Right? So oh, that's toolbox awesome. <laughs> that, is, that is really so, cool. So it's a very common, uh, uh, very common to have some kind of a service cart or rollout toolbox. Um, oh, and wow. have, you know, a service cart might have three drawers, three or four drawers of tools in it. Uh, but every all the tools in that toolbox are shadowed as well. So that rolls right after the car and, uh, and everything is still organized. So do you have just kind of your basic necessary tools there and then if you wanted to roll that out and then add some of the specialty tools at, like as you as you take the the uh, rolling tool cart out of there um is, i guess it's specific to uh what you're doing but yeah is that typically going to be more of your standard tools that you're going to be using consistently yeah pretty much yeah and we have we, so we have some folks that will take a, a service cart and they'll just they'll they'll set the tools that they're going to use for a specific job on top of the cart. Yeah. Uh, the the beauty of that is that when they're done, they just they go right back to the the main toolbox, open up the drawers, and you have all the empty space of the shadow the shadow boxing that has the tools missing out of it. Uh, it's very easy to tie those tools back into that toolbox and then immediately do an inventory. So to inventory a box of let's say 450 tools, it might take you 30 seconds, like maybe. And that's wow. and I've I've done tests with people who have never seen a toolbox before, pulled a tool out of a drawer that had ninety pieces of tools in it, and and use a stopwatch to time them how long it took them to find the tool that was missing, and it's usually two to four seconds. And this wow. is somebody who doesn't even who's never seen the toolbox before. So take a technician who this is their livelihood. It's a, it's a toolbox they look at every day. They can literally inventory their entire toolbox in less than thirty seconds, and they can do it after each job, so that they know. A, a ratchet or a socket or a bit socket or a screwdriver is not accidentally going out um, uh, in that bay of that car, the engine bay of that car and then dropping wow. out on the highway. That is awesome. That is really cool. Now, do you, uh, any best practice recommendations on how a shop inventories their tools? Uh, is, is it a manager's responsibility? Is it a text responsibility? Who, who, how do you, uh, I guess, keep your, keep your ducks in a row in terms of, of really that inventory management of your toolbox? Well, you know, we've, we've seen it a few ways. We have some who, who say, hey, the shop foreman, uh, that's now your responsibility. And sometimes, it's, so if you, if you have a dealership, um, let's say like, like Repetti um, uh, Auto Group um, in California. So, you know, they'll take and let's say they've got 15 boxes of tools uh, in a specific dealership. 
they may make the shop foreman responsible for inventorying the tools once a week because the dealership owns the tools. The dealership will own the tools and will always own the tools. So to mitigate any concerns, they, they do, let's say, a weekly inventory count that might take 15 minutes. Um, and that way, if you're doing that, you can now hold those technicians responsible on a weekly basis as well and say, hey, listen, you're missing, you're missing this quarter-inch drive ratchet. Um, you need to find it before next Friday because we don't have it by next Friday. We're going to go ahead and order a new one. And it's going to come out of your paycheck. Mm. So th that that was the piece that I was trying to figure out myself was like, okay, how, how do you, how do you manage that? Uh, but I, that makes total sense. And if it's fast to be able to do the inventory, I mean, that, that makes, that, that was maybe one of the things I was having trouble putting together is like, yeah. how do you, how do you maintain that piece of it? But that, that makes total sense. Yeah. It's it, the organization and the foam shadow and the sonic foam system that actually makes it a non-issue. It's wow. no longer an issue. It's it's almost ridiculous how quick you can inventory a box and not just inventory, but like identify what tool is missing because the foam itself is, is labeled. So you have a space there. You know it might look like a screwdriver, but with our foam, it actually tells you uh, that's a number two filled screwdriver. Wow. What, um, this is a super random question, but what percentage of, and you don't have to have this exact by any means, but what percentage of customers do you see that are shifting to the dealership owned model versus the technician owned model? Because I, I'm guessing there's still technicians that are buying directly from Sonic too, right? Oh, there are. Yeah. I mean, I, are, well, I think it's funny. The, the shift, especially the beginning of 2019, we started to see a bigger percentage of our business coming from um, companies you know, outside, not just dealerships, but we had airlines that were also, so the airline industry is struggling, struggling with the same issue that the automotive industry is automotive, diesel, elevator, um, you know, the, the ride mechanics at Disney, there's, there's, a, there's just a, across the board, a shortage for skilled trades like technicians. And uh, so I'd say beginning of 2019, we really started to see a, a shift of um, the purchases happening from the business. Uh, side of things. Yeah. Well, and it, it's funny because I think about that same time, I was, I was really through some of our writings or doing, you know, some content talking about how shops needed to have an open mind to some of this stuff where it's not the traditional way of doing it, but it might be a better way of doing it. Right. And it might be a way, uh, a technician recruiting and retention tool where, you're not putting somebody in a bad spot where they have to take that $2 an hour and, and people will make decisions based on keeping their family fed. Right. And, and if yep. you're not able to do that because you've got a, you know, two or $300 weekly bill or, you know, a hundred dollar weekly bill, whatever it is that every time, every time the uh, snap on guy comes in, we've all seen a tech that, you know, runs, runs away and has to go, go on a, uh, um, go run an errand or something because it, you know, it, it, it just not to me, we put a lot of people in really bad positions early on in this yeah. business. And, and I, you know, when I was running shops and, and kind of in charge of that, that was one thing that was always a concern to me is you're oftentimes bringing in the lowest paid person with the highest investment need uh, yes. to, to get started. And we wonder why we, we kind of kill our youth here and, and that yep. we don't see a lot of people make it through. It's just such a, a crazy, uh, it's such a crazy investment up front, you know? Well, it's funny is that, and it's taken all these years for this, the system to kind of be questioned, right. For someone to kind of say like, why is it, why is it happen? Why does it happen this way? Yeah. When I, you know, when I was hired on with, with Sonic, I didn't, have to go out and buy my laptop and my monitors and my desk and uh, <laughs> a shirt, you know, shirts, uniform shirts and sample kits. This is, that was all provided to me. Um, yeah. You know, so that's, well, I don't know why it was normal for everybody else. Uh, but then, it, you know, the, the idea of, uh, of, you know, technicians owning their tools and having to go into debt for that and make that investment. Um, and I think, you know, some technicians probably saw it as an advantage, maybe like, Hey, this is, these are my, I'm a mechanic and a mechanic, owns tools yeah. and I don't I don't I don't question that idea at all I think that is I think that is true if you're truly a mechanic you do have tools um, the idea that you have to provide tools to do a job for somebody else uh, is what you know what we don't agree with 
Uh, you know, the, one of the early, I'll tell you a quick story, early uh, recruiting retention, this is kind of where the recruiting retention stuff started with us, is I was having my car serviced at a dealership in Orlando, what's like a dealership, uh, actually my wife's car, and um, I knew the shop owner pretty well. I, have, I also had a Volkswagen that was was tuned and real fast and stuff. And so I try to try to maintain a good relationship with the shop foreman and service director so that if I ever had any issues, they didn't void my warranty because I had a bigger turbo on my car. So I always try to play nice with those guys. Um, but I built a pretty good relationship uh, with the shop foreman and I was sitting in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, in the waiting room and I thought, you know, I'm going to go ask this guy if they have any issues with recruiting and retention because at the same time, around the same time I was, I was just starting to dive into the school side of stuff and, and ramping up our student program uh, with discounts and what we're doing for students. And so I went out, went out and asked uh, the shop foreman, I said, hey, listen, do you guys have any issues with recruiting and retaining and, you know, uh, new techs? And he's like, yeah, the issue we have is the other Volkswagen dealership. There's two, there's two groups that own deal Volkswagen uh, um, dealerships in Orlando. And when the technician is far enough along uh, into their job, the dealership can decide to put them through Volkswagen Fast Track. Um, and from what I understand, the dealership makes that investment. So you got a technician who's four to six months in as a tech, shows up to work on time every day, um, you know, seems to have a, a good aptitude for what they're doing. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and pay to have this, this technician go through the Volkswagen Fast Track program because that's the next step is into becoming a, a flat rate tech. Well, the other Volkswagen group or other Volkswagen dealership, you know, comes over and poaches this technician and say, hey, listen, we'll put you on a path to being a flat rate tech faster and we'll pay a dollar more an hour like right now, starting right now to do exactly the same thing because that dealership does not have to make the investment that this dealership did. The, de mm -hmm. the other dealership paid for it. So that was that was my first introduction to the problem of rec not just recruiting, but the retention side of things. And so I put together a program or a, 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 an offer uh, said I approached uh, Christian Lafferty was a service director at the time. I said, Hey, Christian, listen, what if I sell you this Volkswagen specific box? It's kind of overkill for a quick glue guy, but this box will carry your technician probably through two years hmm. of work. Uh, and the first technician was a guy, a young guy named Francesca who graduated from, I think Seminole state college, if I'm not mistaken. Um, hired this guy and they did a 0% interest like rent to own. This is where, we, the re, where the retention side of it came in. So they said, yeah. Hey, listen, we have this filled box here. It's a Volkswagen specific box. It's actually one of the boxes that has come out of Volkswagen Germany from, from the, our relationship with Volkswagen Germany. And uh, if you decide to take this box, we're going to take X amount of dollars out of your paycheck uh, at 0% interest. It's a reduced rate. So they were able to buy the box uh, for less than what list price was. So it still was an attractive purchase for the technician. Um, and this guy, Francesco said, yep, I'm in, I'll do it. Uh, because it was either that or going into debt at a high interest rate on the truck. Uh, so he did it. And I kind of kept, uh, in kept tabs with him even when I moved. And, uh, the last time I had talked to R Roberto, who was a shop foreman, Francesco was like 26 months into being an employee there. And he still had not been on the tool truck. He was just starting to get to that point over wow. two years later where he now needed to start investing into a bigger box and some more tools, but it literally helped him retain that technician and kept that technician off the truck. Um, and he, and he was able to have all the tools that he needed for two years worth of work for, for less than $4,000. Wow. So I, that was kind of what started our wheel, wheels turning like, man, this is an actual problem. We need to go out and, and build a program uh, to help on the recruiting retention side of things. And then that, that boiled over into, um, ABA, the aviation world, where we built a relationship with some wholly owned by American Airlines, Piedmont and PSA, uh, then it just snowballed. Wow. I, I love the open-mindedness going into that, right? And, and, I, and being able to put together a program that gets to the root of the problem rather than just trying to, you know, shove bottom line, you know, bottom line activities. Yeah. Uh, and not to, not to throw other tool companies under the bus, because I think there's a lot of other good vendors, but I just like the different approach. I like the, you know, the ability to have that, that person and say, say you get that person in and they're, they get a year in and they're like, this just isn't a, like, I'm not, I, I don't like this. I'm not, you know, I'm not very good at it, or I'm just not like, not liking this 
it, it doesn't tie them down to a load of debt. We see it all the time where a, a tech will go buy some huge toolbox or a, a, you know, a beginner tech, some huge toolbox because they get the school rate, then they'll fill it with about half the amount of tools that they actually need for the yep. basic tool. So they invested in the wrong thing because it's the big shiny thing. And yep. then, and then they're, they're stuck without the actual tools they need uh, in, in a lot of cases. And it puts them in a really bad spot. And, and that's what I, I, I don't know. I just absolutely love that part about what you guys are doing because instead of having that person go 10 grand into debt right off the bat with seven grand of it being a toolbox, you, you help them understand what smart purchasing decisions are and what, yeah. you know, like it's, it's more caring about the person rather than just like go fill that spot and do that job. Yeah. You know? Well, it's it's amazing too that the the box that that the gentleman worked out of uh, the Volkswagen dealership in Orlando, it was our S nine box. So it's it's uh, about the size of it's actually a little bit smaller than that pullout cart that I pulled there. He worked out of that box for two years, two plus years, and so I, you know one of the this goes back to the whole stigma part of the the business and that you have um, you can imagine being a young guy who gets out of school, you come into your work, your, your first job, you want to be taken seriously. You want the veterans to respect you, the, the veteran mechanics to, to not think you're a chump. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of pressure to jump on that bandwagon. Um, I've met some really, um, really good techs, so veteran technicians who have made some of the wrong choices. And instead of perpetuating that, that, that idea, like, Hey, just do what I did, do what I did. Be like me. They're like, listen, don't do what I did. Yes. You can work. You can, a good technician at Volkswagen could almost work out of a service cart their whole career, less some specialty items you know, right. especially when you're working on one brand of car. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a, 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 a lot of crossover stuff in, in a lot of brands. It's the same stuff. It's the same tools. Uh, less a few specialty tools to do some different jobs, but you can have a good technician work out of a small box for a very long time. So I, I, it's been it's been uh, refreshing to see some of the the veteran technicians who are trying to guide some of the younger techs into not going in the debt, not buying the big box, not caring about how big your box is compared right. to somebody else's. Um, so that that mindset is starting to change as well, which is kind of nice. Um, but yeah, there's still the there's still that challenge where a, a technician comes in and wants to fit in and wants to be part of the team and wants the veteran technicians to say, Hey, look at my huge, you say $7,000. I know people were oh. spending $17,000 on just the, just the cabinet setup, just a toolbox, which is crazy. And that's where I think we need to do as an industry, maybe a little bit better job of ROI analysis with techs, right. And understanding, you're going to spend this much money, how much more money are you going to make as a result, right? Because this is Correct. a business and this is your job. And and I don't know that we do a good enough job on that education piece of, you know, as an industry on, on informing them, you know, smart buying decisions. And we did, uh, we had our technician um, roundtables a couple months ago and Tanner Brandt that was on there, just an, a really, really smart guy. Um, he talked about how he, he had worked at a shop where they brought in uh, financial um, advisors to talk about financial behaviors and, and really how much of an impact that has on a technician. And it's just such a, you know, like you said, rather than doing the keeping up with the Joneses, what can you do to, to get through and, and really invest in yourself, but not, not put yourself in a bad situation. And we, we, you know, we see it all the time and I, that's, it's heartbreaking at times to see some of these people spend the amount of money they do young people uh, that take forever to get out of it. And like yeah. you said, when their lives change and they start to have a family or they're, you know, they get a house and they need to fix the house, then yeah. If you're stuck paying the tool bill every week, you're, you're, it's not, it's not fun. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's too bad that that's not happening more than it is now. I mean, I think, like I said, I think there's a there's a pivot that's happening now where you're starting to see people um, be smarter about the financial side of things. Um, any any so the gentleman you're talking about, that, what a forward thinking uh, you know individual to have to come in and say, hey, listen, I'm gonna I want to do what's right by my technicians. And you're right, that the technician side. 
the fixed op side of things have been ignored for so long. And typically that's where the money's being made anyways. Right. You know, the front end of the, 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 the office is, is great, great looking. You know, everybody's well-dressed and taken care of and they got coffee and cookies. Then you guys, you got the guys in the back that are just kind of like the grunts back there. Uh, but typically the absorption rate in a dealership is that's where the money's made, right? Yes. So you, they're always focused on that absorption rate being hundred plus percent. Um, and so it's, it's great to hear that there's people that are kind of focusing on one, the financial uh, guidance and education, because there, there is that, that's, that's something that's lacking through all levels of education up through even in trade school. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And, and that's, I know it, it as a, as a tech student, if you're a tech student out there listening, it can be so attractive to see how much money you can get off on something that when you're coming out of school, right? And there yeah. are some really good programs with some really good tools that you can get coming out of those, but don't feel the need to just overspend just because you're getting a deal at that point, because that that can put you in a really bad spot. And that's, as we see, and as Scott's mentioned, a lot of the industry's changing. So you never know what you're necessarily going to have to bring to the table for tools down the road. That, that could change a lot in the coming years. and and uh, something absolutely. that I think is, is definitely going to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the other things we, we brought up the dealerships and the pivot with are the, the how that's the them buying tools and, and the challenge that they have buying tools. So one of the, the things that has won us over a lot of business, uh, including with PSA and some of the auto groups uh, in California, um, is that you have an auto group that says, you know what, we want to we want to have a single source solution. Um, and the challenge they have if they go through a truck model, a truck brand, is that if you've got a dealership in Orange County that is, you, you bought your tools and you got a dealership uh, in another county, well, now you've got two different truck franchise owners that are servicing your technicians, so there is no consistency. Um, and there's some really good truck owners out there that do a really good job of taking care of their customers, and I've met technicians that love their truck guy. Um, the challenge that I hear is that when a technician moves from this dealership to another dealership, all of a sudden now that truck person is um, not as keen to, to service them uh, like the person that they bought the tools from. I've, I've even heard stories of where they've, people have said, listen, if you want it right, if you want the tool, I'll replace the tool, but I'm not giving you one off my truck yeah. because you didn't buy from me. Um, and, and, and I kind of get it because that person who owns that truck that's their inventory. If they yep. give a technician a, a 3H drive flex head ratchet because their other one broke, well, then they drive over to Toyota and a guy there wants to buy a 3H drive flex head ratchet. He's like, ah, I just gave it to the guy back there at the Honda dealership. Now I can't sell him one. That technician is going to buy one. And now my, if it's not snap on, it's going to be the next truck that comes through that has one on the truck like Mac or Matco. Yeah. So the, the idea of having consistent service was a big deal. Um, and the warranty part of, we haven't even talked about the warranty yet. The warranty uh, is, to me, exponentially better than anything that's out there right now. And I don't know if you've, have we talked about the whole QR code badge inventory? No, no, we, we, haven't, we haven't touched, yeah, we haven't touched on that. Okay, well, if we got, you, got, you got a few minutes, I'll take it. We do, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the, ser the service part of what we do is what excites me. Um, because I, I was literally on the phone yesterday with a, with a gentleman who owns a school, or runs a school in Melbourne, Florida, for AMP mechanics, which is on the aviation side of the world. He's from the military, he comes from a military background, so shadowing and laser etching are all, that's like, they're, you do them. It's not an option, you, all, you, you operate this way. So his whole, his whole career was working out of a shadowed box with laser etched tools. Um, and so you have the, the, the challenge of how do you warranty a tool when you don't have tool trucks? Right. And his big push is like, listen, we're, we're buying tools from a known brand that we've talked about, one of our competitors, a professional brand that we've talked about. Um, and he's like, the, they're buying the tools and the challenge with them replacing a tool because they're buying tools as students through the industrial side, of, industrial side of this company, not the tool truck side. There is no tool truck that goes by this school. And says, hey, is everybody doing okay? Does anybody need any tools? Is anybody, did anybody break any tools? There's zero people coming by, by that school to service those, uh, those students who are technically technicians at this point, right? They, they've bought tools. <clears throat> so with us, um, student buys the tools, anybody buys the tools, 
you break something, you literally pull your phone out, take a picture of it. And let's say you break a ratchet. The ratchet's not going to physically look broken. If you strip the teeth out of in the ratchet, it's not going to look broken. Doesn't matter. You take a picture of it. It takes you literally two minutes from your phone to warranty that tool. Upload the two pictures, send them to us within 24 hours. Uh, a new tool is on its way to you. And the, the nice thing about our model is that it's basically single source. So with PSA Airlines, they, they had eight uh, hubs at the time. Everybody had the same point of contact to warranty or service something. Their phone and email are our phone number. It was one point of contact. So the, the service was consistent. That was the biggest issue they had with the brand previous to us is that there was no consistency in service. It seemed like they didn't even care about it. Once the sale happened, like, hey, sales done. Good luck. Good luck replacing that tool. Yeah, that is cool. I, I mean, this is some of the stuff that I wanted to learn more about today. Um, just out of curiosity, just because I knew how much how much you guys were doing differently. And I, I was lucky enough to have Colby on my uh, the round table that I hosted on the Teddings Fix yeah, Shops round yep. table thing. And just you know, love what you guys are doing. I, I mean, this is really uh, game changing. Now, speaking of that game changing piece, you guys are coming out with the pathway program. We are. Yeah. So this should hopefully roll out by quarter two. It's something we've been working on for a year and a half now. Uh, a lot of what happened leading up to us doing this is just research and doing our diligence. So we talked about, you talked about uh, technicians come out of school, buying a big box and buying tools. A lot of them, are like, well, yeah, I need one of everything. Give me one of everything. I need all this stuff. And the reality is they don't. Right. So we did, we worked with our, our, our business partners that are in the automotive world and uh, the aviation world, but specifically in automotive, we, we determined through a lot of diligence, what was the ideal basic set? What's the best set to put somebody to work without them having to make a huge investment on top of it, um, without them being short tools. Um, so, built these basic intermediate advanced and expert sets based on industry knowledge and our relationships with um, automotive groups and dealerships. So you have a technician who comes in and buys a basic set or the, or the dealership who buys a basic set and the dealership, if they're, if they're buying the tools and that technician goes from basic entry level technician to the, let's say the first level of flat rate technician, we they can either go directly straight to buying the intermediate set from the start from the start or by the basic set, and then we have an add-on set that basically backfills the intermediate set, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if you don't buy the intermediate set from the beginning, you buy the basic set, you can buy our add-on set, which includes new phones. So we, we're, we're supplying the tools that are missing from the basic set to make the intermediate set, and we supply the phone. So you take the tools out of the basic set, put them in the new phone with the additional tools, and oh. now you have the intermediate set. And the, and the whole idea behind that it was just let's – Let's create a, and this was actually something that was being requested. This was dealerships who were saying, we want to do this, but we want a pathway so that we can, we can follow and, and encourage our techs to stay with us and one, stay off the truck and stay out of truck debt, uh, but give them a path so that we can make them successful all the way up to expert level technician. Have you seen a, uh, a dealership tie that to like a rating yet or like a, like a pay plan? Uh, so if they're, if they go to the intermediate set and that like that's a requirement to get to this next level or has it gotten to that that level yet or do you see maybe a, a potential for something like that so are you saying like if the dealership is saying hey listen for you to get to this level you need to have these tools yeah i think it, i think it would be the opposite i think opposite. that they would see they would see the technician making advancement in themselves in their career and like and say okay listen jay you know, listen, you're, you're ready for a promotion. You're ready to go into this, the next level of technician. Um, congratulations. Here's your promotion. Here's your pay raise. And here's our pathway set to backfill into the next set that you need, which is the intermediate set or advanced set. Just the messaging there alone is so awesome. And the, the change in messaging, right? Where instead of saying in this, in order to get here, you need to do this. It's more of, Hey, you've worked your tail off. Congratulations. Yep. Here's, here's your new tools. I, Correct. to me, that, that, that is such a change in mentality for our industry and, and such a um, change in messaging. And we talk about retention and wanting to keep, you know, my, my big thing, and I talk about it all the time, but 
I don't only worry about people coming into the industry, I worry about people staying in the industry. And, and we've got a little bit of a problem there where uh, folks might just be flat out leaving this business to go to other, uh, you know, other trades or other, you know, maybe into an office type role at some point. And this is the kind of stuff that can change that. This is the kind of stuff that makes, makes that position rewarding, makes it, uh, you know, something that you can be proud of to be in for a long time. Um, and, and just changes, changes perception. Like we started off this podcast with, you know, talking about how, you know, how we all work together to, to make that happen. And I think what you guys are doing at Sonic and what you're doing, Scott, uh, just very, very cool. I, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm genuinely impressed. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually impressed with you guys, what you guys are doing as well, uh, which is kind of what led to our conversation, right? So yeah. we talked about students and we, and because of our involvement with students and being more solution-based, than just be a vendor who's selling tools. Um, and I can tell you, I told you, like, I personally have given resumes. So I've, I've been on a campus talking to students about you know, buying tools um, and literally turn that conversation into, I'm taking a resume um, and introducing, to, introducing them to the Kevin Delaire at Piedmont uh, yeah. to go interview with Kevin you know, and, and potentially get a job. Um, so it's funny, I, being, and I think that's the big difference, being solution mindset based you know solution based mindset versus hey where's the vendor peddling tools yes. we don't care what you buy we just want you to buy as many tools as you can and good luck right um ours is like we we truly want to add value um to them and and tools the the product itself becomes almost an afterthought because we're just about this you know solving problems relieving pain uh seeing an increase in bottom line seeing an increase in retention lower lower attrition uh, I, mean, I mentioned laser. I forgot to mention laser etching about the Grappetti. So I mentioned Grappetti and how they're buying stuff. And you got yeah. talking about asset management. Um, the laser etching ties into the asset management as well. So um, Grappetti specifically. So each one of their tools. Let me see if I can. I don't know if you'll be able to see this or not. Yeah. Man, that's cool. And I don't know how good this camera is going to be, but if, let's see if I can hold this up where you got. Um, oh yeah, I can see it. You see, so that says, it says B1, D3, so it's box one, drawer three. Oh my um, goodness. What Grappetti did is, so, so one of the concerns is, hey, if I've got 15 of the exact same toolboxes, um, or I've got 15 of the same tool sets in built-ins, and I've got these bays lined up, what's to stop, you know, Kevin from taking Susie's wrench because Kevin left his wrench in a car and it went away, and he knows that at the end of the week, there's going to be an inventory count. He's responsible. The laser etching solves that. So I think that Grappetti did something like GAF1, GAF2, which is a Grappetti auto family, uh, one, two, three, four. So now there is no cross-contamination that's happening in the tools um, because you've got uh, um, everything laser etched. Man, that that is something else. That is really, really cool. I I, uh, I commend you guys for everything you're doing. I, I've learned so much during this podcast and and, you know, you and I talked about this in the past, but we're, you know, both passionate about the industry and, yep. and trying to figure out ways that we can, we can help uh, make it better. And I love, love the fact that you talked about your, your, you're looking for value to deliver over and above tools. And I, I you know, I think that's very much what we try to do here uh, with the finder wrench side too, is just what can we do to better, I don't know, make the industry better and, and not do it in a salesy way, but really just bring right. value. And I think you guys do the same thing. So I've, uh, I, I think we're about up on our time, but I, I really appreciate you coming on here. I learned a ton. I thought this was a really fun conversation and, and uh, hope we'll uh, have you on again. Oh yeah. I love, I love talking to you, Jay. Love it. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm.